morning, everyone. So if you have been here, you know that we are in the book of John, and we are in a series focused on the theme of the book of John, as the author mentions in John chapter 20, verse 31, that he wrote this book through the guidance of the Holy Spirit that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And that believing, you may do something about that information, that you may have a life that's committed to him, a life in his name. When the book of John is studied, you see over and over again an emphasis on authentic belief. The Bible, time and again, shows primarily two types of beliefs. When you read and observe the characters, there's those that believed in the information about Jesus. They observed what he did, and they said that this man must be special because nobody can do the things that he does unless he is from God. And so they believe in what they observed with their eyes, it was unmistakable that he was special. And then there were those that committed their lives or believed, as the Bible says, in him. That they took the information in the observation of what they observed and they said, I am going to commit my life to follow him. For Christians, the book of John is for you a encouragement and also a tool for when you are sharing the truth of God's word with others. So through this series and as you study this book, my prayer and my heart is that the Lord Jesus Christ will help you to utilize this tool to help others as well as encourage yourself. How much does Jesus love us? How much does God loves us? He says in John 3.16, in the context of a conversation with a very intelligent theological Pharisee. A man of God who was very well equipped to understand, or should have been equipped to understand the Old Testament scriptures. In the context of his conversation, with someone who knew the word, Jesus gives us this most popular verse. He says that God so loved you, Nicodemus, that he gave his only son, that's me, that if you would believe, and not just believe the information I'm telling you, but do something with it, Take this information and commit your life to it. If you believe 
you're going to get something that you need, although that's not what you came to me for. That is a guarantee that when you leave from this life, you will have an eternal life. See, many of us, probably most of us, when we first come to God or when we come to God, we come from what for what we want. We have a situation or a circumstance and we're crying out to him and we say, if you exist, I need you. But God, time and time again, comes back with not only quite often giving us what we want, but reminding us of what we need. When you are sharing the good news or the truth of the Bible with an individual, the number one thing that you need to eventually connect the dots and help them understand is that whatever happens in this life is all well and good, but the most important question for them is not about a theological debate. <laughs> it's about your eternal destiny that they know if they really process it in their soul, they have thought about it. What's going to happen when I die? Jesus says, before you even ask the question, I'm going to tell you what you need, Nicodemus. That if you believe in me, you will have a guarantee of eternal life and you shall not perish. Whenever I tell my kids I love them, I tell my kids I love them. I have to admit that it's oftentimes in the context of a conflict. <laughs> because they have done something that is going to cause some consequences. And I probably should tell them, shout out to my children, I love y'all just because I love you. Probably should say it more. But in the conflict, or in the context of the conflict, because I have to consequence them, I want them to know that the reason why is not because I'm attempting or I want to condemn you. Verse 17, if that's up there. Jesus says, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, <laughs> but that the world might be saved through him. Verse 17, if it's not up there, it's in the scriptures. To my children, I'm saying to them that I'm teaching you this lesson. I'm preparing you for something because I love you and I don't want you to receive these consequences. I don't want you to continue to repeat the same patterns. God loves you. Yes, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. However, there's a background and context as to why he loves us so much and he's demonstrating it is because there is bad news. The good news is good news is because the bad news is really bad. That if your loved ones, if you, if you roll the dice and you don't accept Christ as your savior and you move on to the next life and you don't know him, you are taking the biggest risk of your eternal life. And who doesn't want to love you enough to inform you about that. Now, some people take that as judgment, as a negative. 
But I don't know about you, but when I'm thinking right, when I really process it, ain't no greater love than that than telling people the truth about the potential of what could happen if they do not know him. Now, with that little bit of an introduction, <coughs> let's look at some verses that led up to this statement. Today we will focus on a part of this conversation. We won't get to it all today. So we'll get half of it today and then the other half next week. Open up your Bibles and it'll be up there on the screen to John chapter 2. And we're going to start off at the end of John chapter 2 and then go into some verses in chapter 3. John chapter 2, starting with verse 23. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Chapter 3, verse 1, flowing from this chapter. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know, all of us in this community know, that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, not necessarily buying into the flattery. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, confused, said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot, cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus' answer to him, are you a teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? We'll stop right there. I would prayerfully encourage you as we read through these verses, as hopefully you go back and continue to study the word, to truly observe these types of verses and interactions by Jesus and other people. It should cause you to think and to process and to look internally because your life depends upon it. Love my brother Anderson every time he comes up. God let you breathe today. 
However, the biggest question is when you take that final breath, what's going to happen after that? Most of us, a lot of younger young people in here today, you don't often think about that. But I've said it here before at Radius, and I'll say it again. I've actually, in our lifetime, in our short five years at Radius, looked out there in this congregation and seen young folks that are no longer with us here today. You never know when it's your time. Tomorrow truly is not promised. And you never know when God opens up your heart to hear the gospel, if you don't receive it that time, if your heart will not get harder over time, or if there is something that will happen in your life where you will no longer have the heart to commit your life to Christ. Today is always the day to consider your eternal destiny. Not tomorrow. Who knows that old whining song? Tomorrow. Tomorrow is not promised. You know, I can't sing like that. As I got going, I was like, boy, you better stop. But if you know that old whining song, what an amazing song for the gospel. Tomorrow is not promised. As they say, it might be too late. Jesus understood that as he was speaking to Nicodemus, as he was observing, as the author was observing Jesus' observation about the crowd, about the people who were flattered by his signs and wonders and miracles. Four out of five Americans, I want to just say this real quick, identify themselves as Christians. But less than half are involved in a local church. Probably not a surprise to many of you. Half believe the Bible is true, according to some research and data, and many believe that you can work your way to heaven, that it's by good works, and you just do the best you can, which is really contrary to what the scripture says. You can't be good enough. That's the whole point of why Jesus died. You can't pay the price for your sins. You can't be good enough and come before God and say, God, let me in because I'm good enough. No matter who you are, that is dangerous to think that way. But most folks think that way, that it is by their good works. They are missing the point. They think Christians and Muslims worship the same God. How many times have I heard that? Some believe Jesus actually sinned while he was on earth. And some conclude that there is actually no absolute truth. The Bible may be true. I believe some of it. I'm not really sure. And everybody's battling, and I would not be surprised if that's a high percentage of folks in here, that they struggle to believe in the truth of Christianity because it is always under attack, under scrutiny. Everything else is real. You can believe in aliens. You can believe in all kinds of spiritual things. But, oh, don't believe in that Christianity stuff. The white man's religion. I've heard that too. So when you read verse 23 through 25 back to that, verse 23 by itself would not be unusual and would be what you would expect. For most of us, 
Jesus was at Jerusalem at the Passover. Many believe when he did the signs that he did. When you see miracles, when you see miraculous stuff happen, most of us would, would love to see that. We would love to see God do some amazing things, and he does quite often all over the world. Jesus was intentional about doing miraculous works to prove and identify that he was no mere man. So the miracles themselves, within themselves, is not the problem. So when you take verse 23 alone, we all good. The problem is verse 24 and 25 makes you think, like, what? But Jesus, verse 24, on his part, didn't entrust himself to those folks that believed because they saw the signs. What is that all about? The word entrust here that's translated entrust in this English version is the same Greek word belief as the people that believe because of the signs. They believed in Jesus because of the signs. Belief in the Bible meaning biblical belief meaning trust. Put your full commitment into. They believed in what Jesus did, but Jesus on his part didn't give the same trust or belief back to them. He didn't entrust himself to them. Okay, let's process and think about why. What's that all about? We already talked about distinguishing types of faith in the scriptures, and you'll see it time and time again. But there is a difference between, as we mentioned, believing information about Jesus and committing your life to Jesus. There's a difference between desiring a blessing from Jesus in committing your life to Jesus. Let's talk about an example. Most of you, or some of you probably know this story. Jesus healed many people. He blessed many people. As a matter of fact, he's blessed a lot of us today. That's the awesomeness of his grace, is despite your authentic desire to commit your life to him, he'll still show up and show out. You can be blessed beyond blessed and not really know him. See, let's not get that confused. An example of that is Jesus healed 10 lepers. Y'all remember that story? Luke chapter 17. They all were standing on the sidelines. The scripture says in Luke 17, said they were standing on the side. Jesus was walking and they called out, Master. Like it was a little mini church. They all calling on his name. Help us. And Jesus, hearing the worship and praise and calling out to him, had compassion. So what he did is he healed all ten of them. All ten. But the scripture goes on to say only one came back to thank him personally. And Jesus said, look, what happened to the other nine? Obviously attempting to teach you and I a lesson. Jesus said to the, to the people walking around, it is this Samaritan, it was a Samaritan, a person who is not really associated with the Jewish scriptures because of the right heart came back and gave Jesus thanks. And Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. 
I healed you physically. I gave you the blessing. But now because of your heart willing to come back to me and thank me and commit to me, now I have giving you the ability to be transformed from the inside and helping everybody to understand why I really came. See, I came to bless you physically so that I can teach you a spiritual lesson in what you need. Don't mistake a physical blessing or a miracle for a personal relationship and true authenticity. Matthew Chapter 7, whoo, Jesus hit him with a bombshell. We looked at this verse before, 21. It is a scary verse. It's another example of not only people being blessed, but actually doing religious work and God using them for his own glory. Because see, somebody can be fake, but God still use them for his own benefit because he knows your heart is right. He says, many will come to me. It's not up here. Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, 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 have I done many mighty works in your name? Not only that, cast out demons in your name. But Jesus, this is Jesus giving the story. Please understand. Somebody say, it's not you. Name me. Please remember that. Jesus giving the story. Talking to the people said that some will come to me in that last day. They're going to die. They're going to um, go to the other side and they're going to say, I did all this religious stuff. I was active. But Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I didn't know you. I never knew you. There was no relationship. You had your own motives. You didn't truly have an authentic relationship with me. Big picture moral of the story, what we're trying to get to you this morning here, saints, is when, for you yourself and when you're ministering to people, you must focus on authenticity, genuineness, committing their lives to Christ, not just what they can get out of it. Jesus didn't commit them, himself to them because he knew they wanted something from him, but they didn't want to commit to him. Ladies, let me talk to you for a minute. Fellas, you can listen to. It can go both ways. I'm old school traditionalist, so this might come off as an old school mentality. But I know we're in the modern time, so, you know, men, women, the social constructs, as a friend of ours, Molly says, may not always apply because we're living in modern times where men and women seem to nowadays express liking the same things. But anyways, so ladies, back to you. You ever been in a relationship or trying to form a relationship where you discovered in the relationship with the opposite sex that they wanted something from you, but they didn't want to commit to you? Your definition of relationship and that man's definition of relationships was two different things. What did Beate say? Put a ring on it? See, they weren't really trying to put a ring on it. They weren't trying to go that far. See, they wanted the relationship with benefits, but they didn't want the commitment. Lifetime commitment. Guys, I don't know if that ever happened to you the other way. 
maybe, crickets, crickets, I don't know. <laughs> but there's some really good guys out there where this could apply. See, it's one thing to have a relationship, but to define that relationship when you're trying to connect with somebody is really, really important. What type of commitment are we talking about? See, some folks want friends with benefits, but some folks got God on the friends with benefits deal. <laughs> God, I want the benefit. But um, I ain't going that far. I ain't talking about that kind of commitment. God is saying, your relationship with me when you tell somebody about Christ, when you're telling them, hey, God wants you to transform your life, basically what he's saying is this is a marriage covenant. You must share the gospel that way. You must make it authentic. You must keep it real with them. And then it's their decision. Ephesians is not up there. Chapter 5, verse 31 and 32 highlights this point. When the scripture in that scripture, the author is teaching about marriage, he makes an amazing statement when he's teaching about marriage. He says marriage is kind of like God's or Christ's relationship to the church. It's a mystery, it's profound, but it is a reflection of what God is saying when he's calling people to them. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 said it's a mystery, it's profound, but it's like Christ loving the church, just like wives loving husbands, husbands, husbands loving wives, when Christ is calling for you to commit to him, it is a marriage covenant. It is not friends with benefits. Are you totally committed to Christ this morning? See, Jesus wants to entrust himself to you, but he won't entrust himself when it's just uh, friends with benefits. He'll still bless you. You'll get the physical blessing. You get the physical blessing because he's so loving. But if you want to know Christ intimately, if you want to have that intimate relationship, if you want God to reveal himself to you in a special intimate way, you must commit to the marriage covenant. Anybody holding on to anything today? God is saying you got to let it go. You know, we have that bachelor party before the marriage. We got to get it all out. <laughs> Even though that's not, I'm not really promoting that. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but it's not the best illustration. But you must know that when you're coming to Christ, if you're committing your life to Christ, you can't go back to those old relationships. You can't go back to those old ways. God knows you need help. But once you commit yourself to him, he entrusts himself to you. And then he gives you the ability to live the life that you can't live. But the first thing has, that has to happen is you have to be willing to surrender all. Won't be able to get into it in depth, but he also taught or tried to teach them the lesson 
through illustrating or highlighting that Jesus was hanging out at the Passover feast. Anybody remember the Passover feast in the scriptures? Coming to a close here, a couple other things. The Passover reminded the Jewish people, they knew. The Passover feast was a reminder of a historical event where God delivered the people from bondage out of Egypt. They had got themselves in that situation because they continued to do what they wanted to do, and they found themselves in bondage and slavery and in a situation. Anybody can relate to that? You keep doing what you want to do, and you find yourself in bondage, and God, as gracious as he is, he keeps showing up to deliver. But he reminded them through the Passover feast, through the situation in Egypt, that when God desires to deliver you from your circumstances, he at the same time wants to deal with your sin. Why? Because it is the sin that separates us from the relationship. It's those old relationships, it's those old situations. Y'all hear me? So what happened is God did something weird that they kind of understood through their culture, but a lot of folks don't get. Because <laughs> he told them, as Chris talked about, to kill an innocent animal, a lamb. And when you do that, I want you to put the blood outside of all your doorposts. And what's going to happen is I'm going to cause a plague. I'm going to cause some consequence to come upon the Egyptian people. But when I go to your house, if you got the blood outside of the door, I'm going to pass over. And you won't get the consequences that they're going to get. But that blood, I need to see that blood sacrifice, which illustrated that there needs to be a consequence for sin. Somebody has to pay the price. God is love, but he's also justice. He don't just skip sin. Wouldn't be a good law system if somebody did something and, and broke in your house and there was no law or no consequence. So God is not only a God of, less, of justice, he's a God of love, both, but he illustrated to the people by that blood sacrifice, that weird situation to teach them that I always deal with sin, even though I'm going to deliver you from your circumstances. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? God will deliver you from whatever you're going through today. You know it because he, he always does. You may not feel like it right now if you're in it. <laughs> But if you look back, you've seen he was faithful, and trust me, you're going to get through it. But once you're through it, he's going to remind you again, are you ready to surrender all? He's going to remind you up until you die or until it's too late because he wants to give you an opportunity, if you don't know him, to fully commit to him. And if you do know him, to commit to him in this life and give all your life to him because of what he's done for you. So that blood was a sample or an example of Jesus and what he really came for, John 1.29, I think that's up there. When Jesus walked through and John the Baptist seen him, he says, that's the Lamb of God. The picture of the animals that they kept seeing was a picture of reflection. God always gives a physical illustration to teach us a spiritual lesson. Jesus actually loves you so much. God loves you so much that he's going to take on the penalty that you deserve. He establishes the consequences for sin, and then he provides the sacrifice and the consequence because he loves you. Because the consequence for sin is death, 
He knows you can't pay that consequence, so he pays it for you. But see, a pardon rejected is no pardon at all. If the governor is going to give you a pardon from your situation and you reject it, it's no longer a pardon. If you do not know Christ here today, God is giving you a pardon for your sins. When you're talking to your loved ones, you have to get them to sin. It's not about a theological debate. They need to know at the end of the day when you stand before God, will your sins be forgiven? Because every human being has a sense. They know I'm sinful. We all got that. But what's going to happen when you stand before God? Are you going to say, I'm good enough? Or will your sins be forgiven? Finally, on the foundation of John 2, 3, John chapter 2, 23 to 25, when Jesus gives us this foundational passage to help us think, he then leads into situations and stories and encounters with people. These are examples of how Jesus shared the gospel with people. We can learn from those examples and use them in the things that he taught. They're also reminders for us. As he's teaching these people, you got to look at your own heart and see if you are authentic. There's three primary types of people that he starts with. There's the self-righteous person that knows everything. They got all the theology. You can't tell them nothing, but they come to, but they don't commit their lives to Jesus. They don't talk about Jesus publicly. It's all within a religious huddle. But they know and God knows that they don't truly know him. But they're self-righteous. The second is the woman who is looking for love in all the wrong places, in emptiness. And Jesus says, I can give you satisfaction where you will never thirst again. But you keep looking for love in all these other places. And you keep finding yourselves hurt and beat down over and over and over again in relationships that don't satisfy. That can apply to women and men. And you think if you get that relationships, yeah, I know the person you with is not your husband and you've had five others. And each time you keep trying and you keep breaking yourself down, but nothing ever satisfied because you will never get satisfaction in no man. Just when you think they all that, as soon as you marry them, you find out they ain't all that. And then it's the third situation, the man with circumstances. Real life circumstances, his child was about to die, and all he cares about, I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus, I just got problems. And Jesus was wanting him to know that I know your situation is bad. I get it. I'm not downplaying it. And I will go ahead and be there for you. But you need to know something. The physical situation of your child and your family is not as important as you leading them to Christ so that they have a spiritual future. How many of us are bogged down with our circumstances and we can't get above them so that we can see that our loved ones need Christ? Because God keeps saying, your circumstances keep coming up over and over again and I keep allowing them to happen because you haven't learned the message. I'm here at the Passover. And it's trying to teach them a lesson. And it's always a ceremony, but they never get the message. They always miss the message. Just like communion today. You have it every month, and people miss the whole point. 
my heart and my prayer to you, my brothers and sisters, is that you really think about your relationship with Christ because your eternal destiny depends upon it. And once you get that right, please, please prayerfully grow in your relationship with Christ and live your life for Christ so you can tell others how to have an authentic relationship with him because I know that's what God wants for you and that's why he kept you here after he saved you. In Jesus' name, my brothers and sisters, Amen.